Hey, and welcome to Tomorrow. I'm your host, Joshua Topolsky. Today on the podcast, we discuss the PlayStation 1, Yeezy, and quantum supremacy. I don't want to waste one minute. Let's get right into it. Here it is. We're back. Second time in a week. We said we'd do it. We're doing it. Two pods, one week. If it is to be said, so it be. So it is. (laughs) We here for you. Yeah, we here for you. You can't make a tomlet without breaking a few Greggs. Fuck you! <laughs> <laughs> I showed that to John on the subway yesterday, and we were doing it back and forth, and this lady thought we were, I think she thought we were actually fighting, because we would just be silent and then randomly say, fuck yeah, you! <laughs> well, I'm sure you seem like the typical bad New Yorkers. Anyhow, uh, what were we talking about? How do we get on this topic? I have no idea. We're, hey, we've got two pods one week. Uh, yes, that's right. We're treating you to this mindless banter that you're hearing right now. Apparently, Tim Cook, Obama, and Robert De Niro had dinner in New York. Listen, whenever you want to get a group of people together who one of them hates vaccines, one of them hates poor people, and one of them, you know, did some drone strike. Wait, who hates vaccines? Oh, De Niro's an anti-vaxxer, right. Yeah, right. he hates vaccines. Yeah, I think Laura wrote something for the outline about De Niro being an anti-vaxxer. It's weird because like you want to, it's like you got people like I mean, De Niro's a little bit much with all this stuff. It's like maybe just like I don't know. I like De Niro. You can't, you can't, you can't, you know, can't talk shit about De Niro. I don't dislike him. I guess it's the the annoying thing is that when someone's great and then they do one thing, you're like, come on, you were so good. Yeah, I was just thinking of this of of this thing when like somebody on Twitter retweets somebody you hate. Oh yeah, and like. You know, like, what is that? What is that feeling? Even if I interpersonally just hate them, like, if it's just someone I'm like, oh, fuck that guy, and there's not a really, like, reason that anyone else should care, I still mm. am, like, annoyed mm-hmm. that the person tweeted. Like, All right, let's talk about the news. Let's get into it. I'm on a PC right now, by the way. Today, I decided that I was going to use the PC. And how's it going? I don't know. It's fine. The mouse is bothering me. You want to talk about Zuck? Z- oh, yeah. He did a performance in front of Congress. You could call it that. You could, it's definitely a performance. It sucked. It sucked big time. Mark Zuckerberg got up. And, I mean, he literally was like cousin Greg. I mean, people have made jokes about this, but he literally was like kind of like it was a baffling performance. He had very bad answers. Um, you know, he did this thing. He said this thing that I find the most and one of the most annoying responses about like the truth, um, you know, where these guys from the social networks are like. I think Jack Dorsey has said it too. It's like, you know, like we don't want to police the language. We, you know, we, we think it's good to like let, you know, lies be out in the light. And then when they're exposed in the light, like they can be, they can be, people can, can say that they're not true. And it's like, either you are so fucking stupid, you don't know how your network works or you're full of shit. I'm going to go for full of shit. Um, He knows that the spread of disinformation and misinformation happens so rapidly and with so little ability to check it that by the time anybody can actually respond to the lie, it has already like seeped into the groundwater and has already permeated people's brains and has already made its way around the world and been shared millions of times and been taken and copy and pasted onto other social networks. And it becomes a thing. And so, so this, this like argument that like, I mean, the reality is like, they are policing free speech by doing what they're doing. They're saying we will allow like blatant lies on our platform and we don't really care about that. We think that's a good way for people to communicate on the internet. And, um, you know, it's weird because like they have a policy, I believe now of taking down, um, posts, personal posts from people that have like known lies in them but they are not applying the same policy to the ads they put on because the personal posts aren't paying them it's like they're daring someone to regulate them i mean if we had a responsible government that knew what the fuck it was doing they should be in 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 an antitrust uh them and google should be in antitrust hearings right now like this is too much 
power to be concentrated at companies that have no oversight whatsoever from like the citizens of the country and the, or the countries rather. Here's an interaction between Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez and Mark Zuckerberg that I have watched a hundred thousand times. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez says to him, can you explain why you named the Daily Caller a publication with well-documented ties to white supremacists as an official fact checker for Facebook? And he responded, Congresswoman, sure. We actually don't appoint the independent fact checkers. They go through an independent organization called the Independent Fact Checking Network that has a rigorous standard for who they allowed to serve as a fact checker. And AOC responds, so would you say a white supremacist tied publication meets a standard for fact checking? And Zuckerberg basically 404'd at that moment. He just like, he started like looking around the room in a panic and then said, uh, Congresswoman, I would say that we're not the one assessing that standard. The International Fact Checking Network is the one assessing that standard. But the thing is, mm. he chose the International fact checking network whatever that is and he contracts with them he pays them to do that service so if another service popped up and said we are not pro daily caller he hasn't chosen to give them that ability he chose the one that would allow for white supremacists so it's a really really great way for him to have plausible deniability and facebook uses this method in multiple different areas of its business um, when it does content review of uh, gore porn, nudity, violent hate speech, they subcontract, as Casey Newton uh, outlined at The Verge, they subcontract that out to a company that isn't Facebook, but is only its only client is Facebook, and it was set up by Facebook as an independent contractor, so that they can have those people work for less than a livable wage, and they can support them with almost no mental health benefits, and like physically and psychologically abuse their bodies by subjecting them to all of this for no pay um, until they get burned out. And then they can just turn on to the next bunch of like rubes to take the job for a couple of years. And they have complete plausible, plausible deniability. And when they do their corporate reporting, they can say everybody at Facebook's makes an average of this insane amount of money because all the poor people we pay nothing to do the hardest jobs aren't technically employees of Facebook. They're using this strategy in multiple areas of their business and they're using it now as a way to say, well, we are not the ones who decide what's a lie. You have to go talk to this other contractor we've hired. But the contractor only exists because they chose to pay them. Right. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, listen, I, like, I'm like i I'm really torn. Like, First off, I mean, I don't really use Facebook. Now, Facebook is bringing news back online, which is sure yes, to that's, create- That's the I new mean, announcement today. They're launching Facebook news as a product. I mean, and one of, you know, one of the partners is Breitbart. You know, Breitbart literally had a section called Black Crime and like has run like basically white supremacist like content on their website. I mean, Breitbart's a pile of shit. It is a pile of shit. Um, and which is fine. Like, listen, maybe there'll be some piles of shit. Like, I don't really like the wall street journal either, but they're like way more respectable than Breitbart. But like, I, I I'm, I'm, you know, it, supposedly they're going to have human editors and they're working with n real publishers and they're paying them millions of dollars or whatever. But like, I don't know. I think that, you know, I, I, I don't trust Facebook's instincts or ability when it comes to, uh, managing how people get information. It just, they just don't seem very fucking good at it. And they seem like they don't care what destruction is like wrought by their decisions. And it seems like there will be no repercussions for any of the destruction that comes from their decisions. The other thing is like, you know, the, the people, like the person in charge of the project is Campbell Brown, who is like, I mean, yes, she's a journalist, but she's mostly known for being like a host on TV. And like, as far as I know, I mean, maybe, I don't know, maybe she's worked in lots of newsrooms and stuff. Just a weird choice, like, to run the news side of Facebook's business. You would think that there would be, like, a bit more of, like, people who've come from, like, newspapers or websites or magazines who worked up until 2016 or 2017 on the internet with news, because she definitely didn't, you know? Um, and I don't know of anybody else who's involved in it. So it's like a really weird choice to like, that's the person you're put. It's like, I feel like they just hired her because she's like known by people because she's on TV basically. Um, so it's, it's, it's the whole thing's just is, 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 is shady. Like, I just feel like the whole thing is bad. Um, and, uh, I don't know. It's like, I wish I could trust Facebook. I wish it did. I didn't feel so conflicted when I use Instagram. 
You know, I honestly wish that like Facebook didn't own Instagram. I wish that like they had separate businesses because Instagram is actually like, from what I can tell, I mean, I don't really love it because Instagram was being run independently by its founders who, who just left in a huff because Mark Zuckerberg demanded that they be able to, that Facebook proper, the actual Facebook site itself have access cross-referencing to location and privacy data that Instagram had walled off as a policy because Zuck wanted to be able to during the Cambridge Analytica scandal, and while he was scared of Snapchat, he wanted to be able to offer ad partners all of that targeting information, even though they just had a scandal with that targeting information that leaked because of their their horrible APIs. Uh, my, my fiance is a social media purchaser. He takes money from companies and maximizes their reach. The level of reach he can get because they now have opened up all of the Instagram's privacy data is absurd. He can find basically anybody he wants to of any demographic and show them anything he wants, any lie he wants, and Facebook is now fine with it. it Instagram was so good for so long because its founders were like, say they just said no. The only thing they really said yes to that Mark asked was to do Instagram stories so that he could compete with Snapchat. But that was like a feature ad. It wasn't really a negative to their user. Well, that, I mean, that worked, that worked out for them, didn't totally. it? Totally. But they, and I think they understood that. But when they came around asking to damage their users, they they were like, we've had a tacit agreement that we're not doing this. And he was like, well, I don't care. And so the founders of Instagram left, they exited the company. And I think we can look forward to that having some really bad consequences. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, I don't want to do this again. <laughs> you know, like, I just can't believe we're, like, we're I, still here. Right. I mean, I don't, I mean, look, the reality is Mark Zuckerberg is the wrong person to run Facebook. Like, there should be somebody who's more responsible and has a brain. And um, that doesn't seem like it's ever going to happen. I mean, I do think we need to get to a place where we start. I mean, I can't fucking believe we like regulated Microsoft. We like brought Microsoft to court over an antitrust for an antitrust case. And yet Google and Facebook and Amazon were like, yeah, it's fine. Do whatever. Like, I'm just saying they don't need to be as big as they are. They don't need to be all-encompassing. They don't need to be like the single point of entry for every human being on the planet onto the internet. It's fucked up. It's bad. It stinks. It has to stop. Uh, uh, Representative Joyce Beatty talked to Zuckerberg during his congressional hearing about his work with on diversity, about Facebook's um, housing crisis, um, and the level of like complete like uh abdication that they've had as a leader in diversity and when asking him about re diversity reports from top experts that they've had commissioned mark clearly had not read any of them and when asked if any of their partners in financial holdings if any of the companies that they subcontract with if any of their legal representation at all were of diverse ownership Mark either didn't know or said that they weren't. And eventually she quizzed him by saying one, uh, she, she asked him about the civil rights report that his own company commissioned. And he, she asked him to name the top three findings, just the top three, like top level report. Like it's on the front of the report is the first page. He said, one of them was around housing ads, which we talked about. And then he paused and then said, um, another was about setting up a civil rights task force. And BD asked, who's on the civil rights task force? And Mark said, Cheryl Sandberg is the person who. And BD was like, we know Cheryl, Cheryl is not really civil rights. I'm trying to help you here. She's your COO. I don't think there's anything. And I know Cheryl Sandberg well about civil rights in her background. So you have to come with a better answer than that. And he didn't. And it was so, how can you be the CEO of a company commissioning a report of that level of importance at a company that has been criticized so thoroughly for these issues and not have even read the report in preparation for a congressional uh, Well, he's very busy. And Mark busy, Zuckerberg okay. has access to the greatest communications team in the world. I mean, maybe he needs it on note cards like Trump, you know, maybe he needs it on like with pictures and stuff. I really know. It's just so embarrassing. And, and, and honestly, like, I can't understand how if you're an investor in Facebook, you think that this guy is fit for the job at this point well, other than being very famous well i mean it seems to me like as long as facebook's making money no one's gonna say shit and yeah, and 
And Facebook is in the pow- has the power to stop politicians from succeeding that would step in and write Yeah, it's that. interesting. Who knows what it means? We can only, we can only venture to, to hope to fathom a, a guess um, about what it all means. It's very dark and very upsetting. Well, in lighter tech news, um, mm. we have a review of the Pixelbook Go up. I mean, I'm I'm it's, interested. Uh, it's on inverse, but that is uh from inverse. yeah input. Yeah, we're posting some stuff on inverse that will all be brought over to input when we launch our sister site inverse. Lovely, the lovely people at inverse are allowing us to utilize their their space. Um, uh, and uh, anyhow, but so yeah, Raymond Wong did a review of the Pixelbook uh, Go which I want, I like, and I have to say, like, is really snappy. I was, like, very, very impressed playing around with it. I just want the pink one. Like, I don't... Uh, the pink one, I saw it in person. Yeah. It is, I, I was like, it's really nice. It's everything that their orange phone and The problem. Not. The problem is, like, well, number one, I don't need it. The, the problem, the, number two, I already, I, every time I see it, like, I'm always like, oh, I'm going to get a Chromebook. I have Pixel books here. I'm like, they're, they're, they're the old ones. You know, like, I don't bust them out. Like, I'm not using them. I don't really need them. I do like how small it is and how portable it is. I will say it is, like, a better size. Like, even though I, I do prefer a taller screen i think there's something that's actually kind of nice about how compact it is it's a really really small device like i think that um it is my like it is my um like ideal idea of what i would use as a laptop like in a perfect world outside of work i would use a pixel book like a chromebook setup for everything however whenever i've tried to do that i want to like edit a meme or like uh, I'm trying to like download a large file and move it over here and or I need to go in and you know I want to change some settings in an app so that I have like an ability to you know do something that I can't do and it, it just it seems like in in conception it's all there but in actual practice like the android apps kind of run like shit and it's weird because they run natively but we tried to play asphalt on that thing and it's got keyboard inputs you can play it with a mouse and keyboard you can play that android game that i love on a big screen it looks okay but the minute you get into the game it runs like potato quality <laughs> like we're talking like 12 frames yeah. a second i mean i think it's it's kind of a hack to have the android stuff on there i mean i do think they i mean i i, I was talking we were um Raymond and I were talking to somebody on Twitter and they were kind of like, you know, is, is the touchscreen a gimmick? And I was kind of like, well, I think the touchscreen is there because it makes compatibility with um, Android apps a lot easier. But I will say it's like, it's definitely not, I don't know that Android apps are like the main focus for anybody on these devices. I think it's like, you've got to be. It's to fill in holes. It's like, there's no native blank app, but there's got to be something on Android. So if you have to, you can figure yeah, it out. You, it, it's, you're, you're definitely in but the, but that's not the joy of a Chromebook. The joy of a Chromebook is that it's simple. right, and and frankly, like I think it's very bad to, like, I I just think it's it's like you're you're not um, you know, you're not gonna but you're not gonna you need to like you need to be committed to the idea of a Chromebook to to even think about buying this thing. You know, like you can't be like, well, I can use these. Like, it's, Android's not gonna like it's not your get out of jail free solution for something. You know what I mean? Like it's, oh, totally. it's like, it's a Chromebook. And so you have to love Chromebooks as a concept. And I do like Chromebooks as a concept. It's just that every time I think like, I'm going to use one, it's like, every time I think I'm going to use one, it becomes this weird thing where I like get to a point where I have to do something that I can't just, I'm like done. Like it's not going to work unless I switch to my MacBook, you know? I actually get more, this is so sick, but just because of the app store's insane, um, like their, their, the insane level of diversity of apps that it has, even though it is a hugely walled garden and it, it allows app developers to use a lot less of like APIs and of the hardware. I actually get more productivity done on an iPad when I'm away from like a real computer than I do from a Chromebook and a Chromebook is trying harder to be a real computer. It's better to like edit an Excel spreadsheet. It's better to like type on, but those are so rarely the thing I need done that like I just would bring an iPad with me. I just think both the iPad and the Chromebooks are racing to be windows, but it's funny because we already have windows and Mac OS. So like, they're just going to end up being where we are already. So I don't know who it's for. If I was to buy my parents a computer, I would probably opt for a Chromebook. A student, would you? a Chromebook sounds like would a great you? option. 
My I mom feel, probably, yeah. Yeah, see, because I feel dad, like I feel like probably. I feel like my parents would want to like FaceTime, and they'd be like, "Where's FaceTime on yeah. here?" And that would be that. You know, I feel like there's yeah. little things like that that would be really aggravating to them. Okay. Um. I, another thing that I that was coming up this week as a topic of discussion that I actually would love to dig into a little bit is that TikTok the most beloved new social media company of all the teens and tweens uh, take it, which has taken over like all viral content now comes from TikTok in a way that it used to come from vine. And I actually feel really bad for the vine creators who were trying to make like a vine too called bite, which is never going to take off because TikTok exists now. But TikTok is a Chinese company uh, used to be called musically. Uh, it started out being that company that you lip sync and you make little funny videos. And now it's just a place for video content. Uh, it's, it's like massive in the space, uh, but you can't find anything negative about the Chinese government on TikTok. And you'd be hard pressed to find uh, a lot of pro LGBTQ content. And it kind of speaks to a larger issue that we're in, which is like what China says for the yeah. world is now the world's policy. And we were talking earlier this week about how if the EU decides that it's against loot boxes. That means that game developers will be making two versions of games. We're now in a space where like regionally these walls are breaking down and it's kind of China's the hardest ass of the large markets um, about free speech and about like content. And we, we talked a little bit about Disney in China last week, but now we're in a space where like TikTok is supposed to be a platform. And if that's where everybody's going to express themselves, you can't say like, fuck, the Chinese government support Hong Kong on there. I mean, it honestly shows that this huge divide between, um, you know, what, you know, the, well, not a divide, but, but rather like the kind of hidden cost of like, and by the way, I don't think like China as a place is like somehow like inherently evil or bad or anything, but you, you know, you understand like the hidden cost of like, we, we looked at the Chinese, um, you know, the Chinese government and what they were doing. And there was a point where we were like, okay, wow, like this communist, you know, their form of communism, which is basically, like, you know, a dictatorship, basically fascism, um, is bad and we should reject it. And, uh, you know, but weirdly, once th we saw that they could like be a place they could give us like cheap labor and cheap goods, um, that all sort of got pushed to the background. Like, the people in charge of our country who are supposed to be like, even if it's good for business, it's bad for people. And we, so we reject it. We're like, actually we don't give a shit as long as like the money's working, as long as like the numbers look good. And I just think it's like the hidden cost is that you give up so much more than you think you're giving up in that situation. And so now it's like, yeah, some guy from the NBA is like not allowed to talk negatively about China because they, own us because they own some part of like that business, you know? And, and it's like, it's not like, I, I think, I think there's a risk of sounding xenophobic or even racist when you talk about stuff like this to be like, they own us or whatever. But the reality is like, this is, this is like bad business, you know, like we traded our ideals, our democratic ideals and what we want to like bring to the rest of the world, what America is supposed to stand for, for the fucking bottom line. And I think that's pretty indicative of like what's wrong with America in so many other ways now. Like, like, listen, I, I, I love the gadgets. I'm glad that I can buy a bunch of gadgets, but like, I also recognize that, you know, the cost of those gadgets is like human lives and like people's like freedom. And there's nothing I can do about it. I mean, we could stop buying it. We could stop like actually engaging in this, but it's like, it can't really come from like, there, there's not going to be, I mean, yes, it's good to actually think about it when you buy this stuff. And I do like more and more, like, of course, you know, like I'm a guy who buys like so much random shit, but I have like gotten much more sensitive about how much random shit I actually buy and how much random shit I want. Um, partially because I think it's wasteful, but also because I think that we've put ourselves in a really fucked up position where, you know, this sort of crass consumerism has led us to basically tacitly endorse a really corrupt and bad government and uh, an abusive government. And so, you know, it is interesting that, you know, you don't, you don't, it's like when the Foxconn suicide stuff was happening. I mean, I, I, I spoke to people, you know, I spoke to people at Apple who were basically defending people who work at Apple, who were basically defending to me, like that it's okay. They're like, look, suicides happen, you know? 
I mean, they even might have said some of, the, some of this stuff publicly, I feel like. I mean, I think we might have written about it. You know, they kind of were like, you know. They were like, uh, they, they were saying like, it's okay because if you look at like suicides in population, that the percentage right, right. is actually the same without realizing that it, you're talking the entire yeah, population. It's, like, not, in not, all it's not like people not out jumping off the, the roof of a fucking specific factory, you know, like, right. That they work at and they're employed. So what's so, the rate of people so listen, who commit suicide that are employed and supposed to have mental health care and housing? It's much lower than it so is. So in a way, like, you know, when you, when you think about it, like gadgets and like goods, goods from countries where people are sort of like subjugated and put in horrible positions to make those goods, like slave labor, like prices, basically um, thinking like it's, it's sort of like not thinking about it is like the same way that most people come to like eating meat. You know, you don't really want to think, I mean, it's like that saying, it's like, you know, you don't want to know how the sausage is made or whatever. Like, but that's the truth. Like most people don't need, don't, will not, they will reject the idea of knowing how like a hamburger is made because when they know that how it's made, it makes them feel bad and it makes it harder for them to do something that they enjoy as a pleasure. And like, if everybody felt as bad as they should, there'd be a lot fewer meat eaters in the world. Uh, and I think it's probably true. And at some point we have to reckon with this. And this is true of Amazon as well. I mean, we've seen all of this stuff about Amazon recently. Like there is a human price for Amazon's like fast shipping. The human price is like the people who work in their factories and the people who work in their warehouses. And there's a human price for, um, for the, for the fucking iPhone. You know, the iPhone's a thousand bucks, uh, but it probably should be a lot more expensive. Uh, and we found like a really great labor force that can be abused and, you know, American companies tap into it and don't think about the repercussions. But like the, uh, the end of all of this is that like the more we tap into those things, the more we are submitting to the treatment of those people, the more we are agreeing with the treatment of those people. And the more it becomes like a tension between like what we are, what we are supposed to be as like a democratic country that believes in personal freedom and believes in, you know, um, a freedom from oppression uh, and, and, you know, what, what we want and need monetarily and, and from, from like our goods providers. And so it's, look, I'm as much, I'm as guilty of this as, as anybody in, in the sense that like, you know, we're, we're launching a tech site. We're going to talk about gadgets. You know, I do think that we will infuse some of that conversation with a little bit more of, you know, the sort of thinking about these things. Uh, but the reality is like, I love, like, I love this shit. I love fucking weird cameras and I love like phones and, and, and like, I love like the fact that these things exist and continue to evolve and get weird and interesting and, you know, are like kind of pushing us forward in all sorts of different ways. But there is like a flip side to it. I mean, we, we don't, we haven't thought much about like what, but then again, like this, this is new. It's pretty fucking new. I mean, there is all, there have always been, sorry, I'm really rambling now, but like there have always been situations where, where there have been human abuses, right? Um, in the pursuit of commerce, like that's like, frankly, the whole world has been built on that. But I think this whole idea of, of like the relationship that we have with China, the monetary relationship we have with China is really fucking new. I mean, it's really only in the past 20 or 30 years that it's been, it's come to the kind of like prominent, uh, point that it's at. So I think we just and have it, to is, grapple with it. Point. But there was a tipping point where the amount of investment at first it was just like this Chinese money, mm, I'll take a little of that. And there was a tipping point where we were most where like a company becomes mostly owned by a Chinese company and then fully subject to Chinese laws that we have passed. And we haven't like grappled with the repercussions of the fact that we passed that threshold. And I think there's also the thinking of like these human rights like human rights aren't just good for the individual people, even though in the short term, obviously that's the point. They're also good business. Like we do products are better and people like the economy is better and the world is better. And that way when the world is better and people are healthier, they can also buy the products and invest in other uh, like businesses uh, outside of their own country. And Chinese money can flow into the U S and our U S money can flow into China and we can have a relationship where we work together and not to be all world peace, but in the long term, it's better for everybody. It's better business practices. We have a country have decided that having weekends and having like health insurance makes the whole country better and business better in the long term. And so it's good that we like enforce that. But we have no way of like convincing another country to do that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it, it, it's frustrating because you get to a point where you're like, 
you, I feel like we end up trying to argue for these things as if we're asking for an indulgence, when in fact, like what we're asking for is them to do some smart business. Right. That's exactly right. It's a real downer of a topic. Yeah, it's you. It's a real bummer. What else we got? What else we got in the pipeline here, Ryan? Bring me the fuck down, man. If you want something fun. Um, <laughs> I do. I love, I love fun. Uh, very cool. Very fun. Uh, the, have you heard about what PlayStation is doing with backwards compatibility? Um, no, please inform me. I actually, I've been very not on top of the news this week, as you know, for various reasons, but we'll talk about that in a minute, but, but please inform me. Um, so, so this has been rumored for a while, but it's been rumored multiple times and, um, pretty emphatically by large leakers, including the people who dropped the dev kit pictures, uh, for us. Thank you so much leakers. Uh, but it, 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 and it's also been like Sony executives have been doing like a, a wink wink hint sort of situation but the rumor is that the playstation 5 will be a device that either through fpga through emulation will be able to play every playstation game physical ever released from place except for psp obviously um every uh, but that would be available through download every playstation game for every platform will be available either through a physical disc the size of a cd if, if it's the size of a cd or through a download service streaming um, as a subscription package, and that will be before the PlayStation 5 games themselves start to ship. Um, and we already know that PlayStation 4 Pro games will be uh, compatible with the PlayStation 5. They'll even be slightly better. Uh, but this news means that it would be the first console released ever that has the entire library available. Because with the Wii U, you had Virtual Console, which was a huge back catalog and included multiple different companies and different systems. And it's kind of sad that Nintendo walked away from that, but it was a great way to play like the library of classic games. This would mean that similar to Netflix or similar to Spotify for music, every PlayStation game would be available in one device on day one, giving the PlayStation 5 the biggest back catalog of games of any system other than the PC. I mean, I'm excited about that, except I kind of don't really love playing old games. I mean, it's a great idea. Uh, and I'm sure a lot of people will be really excited about it. But I just feel like I totally get it. But like, you go far enough back and the games start to be pretty janky. Well, like, well the other rumor is, and, and, and I'm not, this is the, this part of the rumor is highly speculative. However, Sony has a ton of patents and they've done a fuck ton of research in this area and they've already started doing it with some playstation 2 games if you download them for ps4 they will upscale and also use ai to remake the textures so you'd be able to hit a button in the menu and take a playstation 1 game from looking like a playstation 1 game to looking like a remastered playstation 1 game in one button click mm. i'm listening and if you Google it right now, there are screen caps that people have done this for old Zelda games. They've done it for old PlayStation games. And it's not like it looks like a PS5 game, but it certainly doesn't look like a PlayStation game. It looks like a PS3 game and it's done instantly. Like no programming, nobody has to go over it. And if they were to hire an army of programmers and developers to individually tweak each game, we could have game remasters of every PlayStation game ever released like pretty quickly they could turn that they could spin that up in like two or three years maximum mm. mm -hmm. and that is a game-changing like selling point like I, I even if the microsoft could do that the xbox and xbox 360 catalogs aren't as extensive and they're not as like classic well listen i mean you've got me interested i'll be honest with you i'm not saying that i'm all the way in i'm gonna buy the fucking thing okay i mean we're all I'm buying gonna, the thing let's not we're gonna, we're gonna <laughs> buy the thing i mean you know, I'm interested to know what they do in terms of, uh, you know, like the design of the console. Um, you know, my dream, which I'm hoping for that somebody does, is a is a kind of switch slash super duper high powered gaming uh, combo, which involves a docking mechanism. Um, I don't know if I'm going to get what I'm asking for from Sony. But I might get it from Nintendo. I don't know. Here's the thing, though. I've been playing way fewer games recently. I guess it's probably because we're trying to launch a website. 
Um, and yeah, I mean, also, I've been playing a lot less games. There's been a couple that I've picked up that I really loved, but I haven't just had the sheer time to be like, oh, I beat Untitled Goose Game and like River City Girls. And I'm yeah. also in the middle of uh, I'm going to pick up the Outer Worlds today and get through it this weekend. Like, there's no feasible way for me to do that. I think Did people you... in general are a little overwhelmed by the amount of entertainment available as well. There's just a lot. And I, I'm kind of like, I'm just falling off. I'll be honest with you. I mean, there's so many things that I just can't bring myself to watch. Uh, you know, like, uh, I don't know. I mean, actually, Laura and I have been working our way through SVU, uh, Law and Order SVU, mm-hmm. which is a special victims unit. I don't know if you've heard of it. Yeah, is that the one it's, where they chop a woman up every week and it's always in, it's in a, a new uh, fun it's, way? It's it's <laughs> like it's like all about sex crimes, basically. Laura was like, "Oh, this one's." I, she's like giving me updates when I'm not around. Like she'll tell me about the ones she's watching without me. And she's like, "Oh, this one's about a sex addict. They she has to have it every day." I'm like, "Yeah, I don't like every day. I mean, I don't feel like that's a sex addiction, but apparently, you know, someone died. Like they she fucked someone to death or whatever. You know, I feel like that's that could be a, a, a warning sign." Um, you know, like if you know somebody who fucks somebody to death, <laughs> they might have a problem. Um, no, but like it's really crazy. One of the things that's interesting, sorry, this is totally off topic, but SVU has some like really bad, weird ideas about homosexuality in the early seasons. Like they really don't know what's up with gay guys. Gay guys definitely like, they definitely think gay guys like to like pee on each other and then stab the other one like that's definitely yeah, no, a no, lot yeah, no, of the like, show like there's like there's like two episodes in the first two seasons that are like about like weird like guys who are like don't realize that they're gay and they like do some like child murders and then at the end they're like oh right i liked it and it's like you know <laughs> i don't think this is like a good depiction of a typical gay man <laughs> like like literally the only gay characters you meet are like duos who are like closeted to themselves and also mur- child murderers. We'll never be I'm able like, to like reckon with the fact that Michael Ailig made all gay people who like had any nightlife experience or like any were weird in any way or dressed yeah, differently yeah. look like serial killers during um a plague where we were all being killed anyway. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. we're, it's going to take us a long time to like uncouple those events from like the reality like of what like the other perspective that television has on gay people is that we're like modern family gays who like cheek peck kiss each other and adopt kids. Like that's all we do. <laughs> and the reality yeah. is I'm somewhere yeah. between a serial killer and um, Cam from Modern Family. And I'm happy like living in that space. I think we all are. Mm. Anyhow, sorry to get on topic of this for you situation. Uh, but uh, what were we talking about? Oh, content. Content. Too much we content. Were about just the sheer yeah, amount of that's con- why I. That's content, why I'm. Yeah. That's why I'm. Uh, you know, I. I'm not catching up. I'm not caught up. Too much tuna. You know, I don't know what's going on. There's a new BoJack. New season of BoJack came out today. Apparently, I don't. I'm not going to have the time for that for a good long while. <sighs> I mean, you know, Terrace House. Like Laura doesn't want to watch Terrace House now because she says it bums her out. And I understand. I'm like, yo, we're like 18 episodes in, and they've had their first kiss. It is a little bit much. Like I don't know what's going on in Japan. I want to go over there and talk That's to some people. Like, for you, though. I'm very concerned about what's happening. We watched Modern Love on Amazon. I've never like loved the Modern Love column, and I I wasn't like excited about this. But the first episode's pretty good, and then I was like, okay, well, I guess we're gonna try this. And then we watched like five minutes of every episode, and it was like, I can't get through. These are all so bad. The Tina Fey one that was written by Sharon Horgan was palatable. It was definitely pretty good. It was like, okay. Um, John Slattery goes a long way to like making those characters believable. But the show itself is like, it it seems like it was designed by the Amazon algorithms to be clicked on by the prime user base and not like artistically curated to be like someone's thesis about romance in the modern age. And it's got some statements to make and some really funny people and everybody put their heart and soul into it. It seems like Amazon was like, okay, we need something based on an existing property that hits these five keywords. And if we can get access to this talent, we could do a shoot at a couple companies or in these three places in New York over the course of two weeks and get it out by Christmas. And that is essentially what the whole thing feels like like there's a whole episode that's basically shot in a trader joe's they got access to Mm. and it's not like it's not supplemental in any way it's a very weird thing for such a rich company 
to like put out. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, you, know. you guys don't they own a 24? Don't they kind of know how to make good movies? And we live in a crazy time. Okay. I mean, Kanye West is just putting a new record out as we speak right this second. He's literally holed up in the Oculus beneath one world trade center. And nobody knows why. I don't understand. Declaring himself the greatest artist of all time. I don't understand. Are we all, we're all like fine with Kanye now? No, I don't think so. Are you sure? I see these people on I think the we're internet. Watching him, I think we're watching him like a train wreck, but I don't think we're fine. I don't think, I don't know. It seems like everybody's just back to like, oh, Kanye West has got some new music. You know, great. It's great. We're excited. Like fucking complex complex and genius and billboard are all like oh it's out it's finally out it's like fuck you this guy was walking around a year ago talking about how trump fucking rules wearing a fucking maga hat and like he was walking around saying that voting for democrats was it was and it's like slavery is a choice like kanye fucking sucks like i don't understand what happened like i get it like he's like wrote some good songs but like i feel like you put the maga hat on and like i mean unless you like trump like you're kind of fucking canceled. I haven't heard him like be like, I made a mistake. That was wrong. Trump sucks. The reality is like when you're rich, the, it's a different, you're just in a different, you're, you're no longer, it's no longer about like the things that matter to real people, you know, which is why Ellen and George W. Bush can fucking hang out. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, which is why Ellen and George Bush can hang out in, you know, the fucking owner's box at a, at a football game or whatever the fuck they were. And she can be like, you know, let's all just get along. It's like, yeah, like George Bush didn't fucking do anything personally to you, rich ass, famous Ellen, but he just did it to a bunch of other people. And so now you guys are in the club where you're above all that shit. And that's like Kanye, I guess is like, we're just going to like, let him slide. We're just going to let it slide. You know? I don't think cancel culture is real. And I think a perfect example is that Harvey Weinstein last night went to a comedy club that was a showcase for young actors. And um, a female comedian went up there and said, like, some pretty, pretty light jokes about the fact that Harvey Weinstein was in the room and she was a rape victim who was uncomfortable. And she was called the C word and told to shut up and pushed out of the bar by the owners who then went on Facebook and they were like, we really, of course they went on Facebook. Um, and they were like, we really feel we want everyone to feel welcome in our space. Not realizing that like Harvey Weinstein being made to feel welcome means that other people are made to not feel welcome. But we're in a place now where even if cancel culture doesn't exist and like so much as insulting a man is seen as like they're canceled, whether or not it affects their income or something, or if they've done actual crimes, like going to prison and being up, for like a rape trial isn't being canceled. That's just what happens when you do a crime. But anyway, if cancel culture even exists, which I don't think it does, we're in a place where we're like gonna get mad at Ellen and yell at her. And if she doesn't respond beyond like a quick, like, I don't give a shit and then doesn't respond, we are so overwhelmed with all of the shit we're supposed to be upset about that we can't get into every genius article and say like fuck Kanye West like Kanye West is so low down the totem pole and he still generates clicks so it feels like he gets a pass even though all of us are are, are, most of us exist with the knowledge that we don't really care for him he can continue to like saturate media because we don't have time to tell genius to stop publishing these articles and sucking his dick like we don't have the bandwidth as like people who have jobs and have to like you know, plan for tariffs, you know, and like try to organize people to vote. And like, we're just so overwhelmed with the state of things that someone like Ellen, if she has on like actresses we like, and the actress does something funny, and we all want to click on the video and be like, look at that Emma Stone playing, you know, tiddlywinks with Ellen. If you want to watch that video, you're, you're stuck tacitly supporting her. And Emma Stone's not going to say no to Ellen because she's still going to get the viewers and it's still going to go viral. And it's kind of like a too big to fail situation, but with celebrities and politicians. And that sucks because we also get blamed if we call people out. Like the media gets blamed for being cancel culture and like not letting anybody apologize if we try to bring attention to the horrible things these people are doing. And I I think we're like still very much in flux. We're still in a really weird time. And when we look back on this like decade, I don't know that this decade will quote unquote end in 2020, even if Trump is out of office. We don't know like how this is going to shake out or what the Internet's new dynamics are like. It's still really in flux. Yeah, it's a disturbing time in our lives. Disturbing. So um, news dropped today that AT&T is planning on giving HBO Max 
uh, because AT&T owns HBO now, uh, is planning on giving away HBO Max to its 10 million wireless customers, which is nice for them. Uh, but the other side of that news is that HBO Max will probably have commercials and eventually HBO will probably get commercials, which means that's kind of the end of what HBO was. And I I kind of knew when AT&T bought or got ownership of, AT- of HBO that it was going to ruin it eventually. <laughs> but that this is happening so quickly is very depressing. I mean, look, uh, I think they want to, here's the thing is like HBO now has to compete with Netflix. I mean, they basically have to, they have to compete with Hulu, you know, and they have to compete with Disney plus and, and, and they're like, how do we get more people watching our shit? And so their, their ideas are going to basically introduce like a free tier, right? Yeah. They're, they're they want to have it free available to their subscriber base. Right. at and then we'll all pay, but everybody, I think, is going to. Yeah, pay. I mean, like, listen, I don't know. I'm, a lot of people I know have Hulu with commercials. I, I personally, I'm like, if I can, if I can pay to not have the commercials, I'll do that. You know, like, there's certain things that I will pay. Like, I find watching, you know, I find watching like hour long dramas that have with ads in between. Like, I find that experience very interruptive. So, um, I'm happy to pay something to not have that happen. I don't know what the level of advertising they're planning on doing is going to be. I also understand that like sometimes you just need to get people into your platform and like a good way to do it is to offer a free tier with ads. Like that's totally fine. I mean, I think, but if you're paying for it, you definitely shouldn't be seeing fucking ads. You know what I mean? Because then it's just NBC and I don't have to pay for NBC. So. Um, yeah. I mean, I, there's very little that's happening on NBC that I, I would pay for. Like, you know, and there's, and there's, uh, there's, I would like, I mean, what's on HBO right now that I actually watch on a regular basis? I mean, almost nothing, almost nothing. They have like maybe one or two shows, like a season. Yeah. Watchmen Watchmen I'm watching now. And Righteous Gemstone. Uh, So I'm not watching that. I'm not watching. I'm not really that interested in like his dark, the, whatever his dark materials shit. Uh, Oh, I'm going to be watching that. I read those books and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll be all in on that. Yeah, I know the books are very popular. I didn't read them. So maybe, you know, that's just like, I'm just like not part of that, whatever, that movement. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched Succession, kind of hate watch Succession. Uh, you know, what's the Westworld? I guess I'm going to watch more of. But like, there's very little I actually watch on HBO. That's the thing. Like, I don't know. Maybe other people are different. Yeah, I find I find myself like going through stuff on Netflix and Hulu and even Amazon to some extent more than I'm than I'm. But then, then again, it's like it's all you can eat, you know. Like Hulu and Netflix and Amazon have like an all you can eat sort of selection of things, whereas HBO is just HBO stuff. So you know, I'm not sure. Like, I guess HBO Max will be a lot more content. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe not. I don't know. I mean, I don't understand if they're like expanding the the, the catalog. Um, I'm just like, I don't want to have to manage all this shit. That's my main gripe. Like, I, I, I want to like, I want to like not be involved in managing any more of these services. Yeah. If at all possible. The, the, yeah. The, the less I can get a nine ninety nine charge twice a week <laughs> for random things I use one a month is great. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I'm not like, I just, the whole thing is a mess. We've talked about this before. The whole streaming, like world is a mess you know mm-hmm. anyhow i don't know i don't know what to say about it i mean it's like i'm probably i'm probably not gonna subscribe probably not gonna subscribe to it our final um giant news story from the week which i can't believe we haven't gotten to yet is that google ha- announced that it reached quantum supremacy with mm. its quantum computing project mm. mm-hmm. yeah which, i mean for the listener if they don't if you're not well versed in this experimental wing of uh computing uh, a quantum computer normal computers are zeros or ones quantum computers can be zeros ones or nobody knows quantum entanglement it's a one and a zero at the same time what and through do through doing that you can calculate much much harder problems but it's really hard to do and at the moment we they've only just created a quantum computer that is faster than a supercomputer. Uh, but we also, we haven't developed coding languages for it or what kind of programs would be best to run on it. Or there's no applications for it yet. And you'll never like, I want to dispel the myth right now. You'll never have like a quantum computer in your home, but we'll be able to get access to those programs or systems through it, through the cloud. Um, and quantum computers will be really good at things like 
uh, biology, chaotic systems like weather, uh, breaking encryption keys eventually, not yet, like 50 years down the line. But uh, Google and IBM are like in a pissing match to get there faster. Yeah, I mean, right now, this is just a PR. This is all PR. I mean, like there are obviously practical, real uses for this quantum computing that we keep hearing about. But it is like, you know, all of a sudden IBM's like, oh, actually, we've we're doing quantum entanglement or whatever. Um, it's 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 like I, I always like with all of these things. It's it's sort of like what are the real world impacts of it? And you just listed some of the potential real world impacts. You know, uh, Google just had this huge update to their um, to the search algorithm, which uses more sort of natural language processing. Um, I think it's like when you think about like you know twenty years into the future, what what this sort of processing power could potentially do to things like searches or to you know to interact you know the interactions we'll have with with our machines. Obviously, there's like you know clearly there's there's a capability there that has yet to be fully unlocked. I don't know what it is or how it's actually going to impact our real lives. Um, but well, the machine that they currently have requires tons of nitrogen and enormous systems that would, the machine basically looks like a chandelier. It hangs upside down. It can only work for a few seconds. They only have 54 qubits running. Um, and Ugh, only 54 qubits. Disgusting. Well, for reference, you need millions of qubits to do like general purpose computing with a quantum computer. Yeah. And we only have like 50 at the moment. But when we get those millions, we'll be able to develop new drugs and we'll have super artificial intelligence and we'll uh, like we'll have a computer that will basically solve problems as we think of them but we're nowhere near that yet so yeah the much more interesting stuff being developed right now is in like machine learning and ai with classical computers right yeah i mean like it's cool i'm excited i i'm also really excited to see like years of pr bullshit from all these companies about um you know what's you know what they're going to be able to do and how they're actually the best um and you know that's exciting but i don't know it's hard to get excited hard to get excited about a thing that doesn't really exist you know what i mean i don't want to be rude i don't want to be that yeah no that makes i don't want to be that guy you know um i think that's kind of it for the week we have kind of a short amount of news two episodes this week you know so it's uh you know it's a lot i'm very tired also i should say let me just cap off the end of this podcast with a very sad note I don't know if you follow me on if you follow me on Instagram or Twitter, you may have seen this, but our dog, our uh, dog Penny, died this week. She was almost fourteen. She would have been fourteen in December, I believe. Um, and uh, it's very sad. She was very sick. I, you've probably heard me complain about her on the podcast, which now seems quite cruel, you know, because she had this like cough. Penny had this thing where she had this thing called a collapsed trachea, where her like it made her cough a lot. Um, and, and for a long time was basically, I mean, as far as I know, it was not life threatening. She actually, you know, she had other problems, like her heart was enlarged and stuff like that. But it was just like very annoying. Like she would wake us up in the middle of the night and <laughs> she would be like walking around the house coughing and like, obviously probably not that comfortable for her, but so, you know, she was old and she was sick and she was kind of cranky, you know, but she was our, she was our guy, our dog, not our guy, I guess, cause she was a girl, but you know what I mean? She was our human um, man. She was our adult human white man, <laughs> cis, het dude. Extremely um, you know, able-bodied you know, outside the trachea. Christian. I mean, listen, I mean, Penny, Penny, listen, just, you know, she was a very unique dog. She had a lot of attitude, a lot of personality. She did have and, a and lot be, of personality. She had personality for days, very, um, you know, very intense uh very intense personality and and she'll be very missed anyhow so that's kind of a big thing in our week and probably one of the reasons why um you know i've been somewhat distracted but uh i can't imagine you know. what else would be distracting you it's not like we're you know oh, yeah, there's also the web publication the website <laughs> yeah the website it's kind of a big one that's kind of a big deal but yeah anyhow so you know r.i.p penny um i don't think we're gonna get another dog anytime soon um because uh, I think we have to recover from Penny first, basically. But uh, I just felt like I should let the listeners know about where I'm at emotionally um, and spiritually. And uh, and that's it. That's where I am. And that's all I have to say. Do you have anything nice from your week? Do I have nice things? I can talk about nice things. All right. Do you want to talk about nice things? Let's do nice things. Okay, you, do, you, you start. Obviously, um, we all know what I'm going to pick if you've been following me on social media. 
Um, so yesterday was my 12th anniversary of my uh, relationship with my fiance, John. It's absolutely insane and very worrying that 12 years have passed that quickly. Um, crazy, very crazy. If you can be in a long-term relationship with your best friend, I highly recommend it. That I think can categorically, we can agree, is nice. Um, I, uh, he's, a, he's a wonderful person, but also uh, yesterday we got to see Mean Girls the Musical on Broadway. I was very nervous about it because Mean Girls is a movie that I loved but was beaten to death by the internet and everything I found joy in in that movie has been you know, it, it has been sapped out over years of memes. But uh, so I was like, I, you know, if this is a rehash of the movie, I'm going to kill myself. But it wasn't. It was very original, very good. The cast is extremely talented and nobody was doing an imitation of the movie actor, which thank God uh, I loved it. It was it was really, really, really great. But also yesterday, John and I got approved for a new apartment we've been living in. I don't know if I've talked about this on the show, uh, the apartment that we got when we left college and first moved to the city. And it is. It was crumbling when we moved in seven or eight years ago, and it is just unlivable. I have had I, three days this week. I have had no hot water or electricity, and that's just standard stuff in this building. We had a, an intruder the other day that was smoking cigarettes outside my door for a half an hour and then screaming at me and called me a crackhead and pissed on my door. We had to get the police to remove him. Nobody knows why he was here. Uh, that's what I've been living in, in for like years uh, in order to save money. And yesterday we got approved for a gorgeous new apartment that is right across from the Natural History Museum on a beautiful street. Um, and the Natural History Museum is my favorite museum and a place where John and I went on our first date. Uh, and it is kind of a beautiful full circle rom-com, you've got mail Upper West Side moment. And uh, we've saved and scrimped and eaten shit for a long time. And it is a lot of money up front. But we're in, in one perfect New York day, we got to see a great Broadway show. And we got to get a new apartment, which we're really excited about. And it's beautiful. And um, yeah, it was uh, a culmination of those 12 years of like work and bullshit and like eating garbage uh, to get there. But it was a good it was a good day. So I guess it was all worth it. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that's yeah great. so I'm really happy. So that was my nice thing for the last like half week. That's good. My nice thing is is uh, I, uh, I, uh, I got a Tesla. I got a Tesla. I don't know how to feel about it, but I think I'm mostly pleased. I mean, I don't know. I got a, I got a very short lease. I got a two-year lease on a, on a Tesla because I wasn't really sure that I'd like it. Is the GPS voice from the Tesla Grimes? Or I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's you got to separate. This is like Kanye and his music. You know, you got to separate the man from the music. Uh -huh. um, I have to try not to think too much about Elon Musk when I'm in his when I'm in his his car. It is just like it is like a crazy car. Like it's a crazy gadget. It's like it's a, just a crazy gigantic gadget. Um, and you know, uh, it seems very cool. I have some issues with it. I'm still trying to figure some things out, but it is unlike any other car I've ever driven. Um, you know, so I guess that's sort of my nice thing. You signed a document for me while the car drove you. <laughs> well, I, I pulled over, but, uh, <laughs> yes, I said that through the magic of technology, you, I signed a document that I needed to sign on my phone for you to be able to get your employment, you know, sort of proof of employment document or whatever. So you could get your apartment. Um, yes, it was magical. It was a magical time. <laughs> um, we live in an age of, of, of miracles, an age of wonders. Quick question. The Tesla uh, does play yes. porn or no? Have we figured that out? So it can load porn pages after Laura. Cause I, I put a picture in the input on the input, um, uh, Instagram of it with input on the web browser because I was like, oh, it has a web browser, so you can load porn like Pornhub, but like it doesn't seem to be able to play the videos. Damn it! So yeah, I don't That's know. Close. You know, even even parked. Yeah, so I'm gonna keep working at it. You know, we'll see what happens, and I'll of course update you as I know more. <laughs> um, I do think like it would be a problem if it did play videos, so maybe they've like disabled that functionality. I saw a video of of. Two, a, a guy driving and his wife and the car was driving them and they were both asleep and someone was filming <laughs> them and I was like, this is bad. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I've put on autopilot. I do not trust it at all. I do not think I would never fucking just let it drive the car without paying very close Especially attention. Especially not with a child or a loved one in the car. Like, Well, yeah. No, I mean, not with anybody. Like, it's just not there yet. It's just not like Zelda's like really jazzed about it. She's like, put on autopilot. I'm like, <laughs> She, I'm like, I'd really rather not. She's like, why are you so nervous about it? I'm like, because I'm an adult uh, and I know that these young people, 
they're going to have their cards flying everywhere. I know, I know. I'm like, I know the computers are very good at many things, but like, they are not good enough to do this yet. And I'm fairly positive of that. Yeah. So anyhow. Anyhow. All right, we should go. I got to go. There's a lot of stuff to do. I got to get out my Tesla, start, you know, cruising around the neighborhood. Yeah, I got to go hand a check for more money than it would cost to hire a contract killer to kill me uh, in order to get my apartment. So I'm going to go hand that check over and I'll report back next week. I'm going to go ride around town blasting the new Kanye record in my Tesla. Watching which I think porn. Is <laughs> Watching porn. Exactly. All right, bye. All right, bye. Well, that is our show for this week. We'll be back next week with more tomorrow. And as always, I wish you and your family the very best, though. I've just watched your family testify in front of Congress and I'm going to say they did a very poor job.